we're going to get going because they turned the music down, so that's, that's my cue. So if you'd find your seat, we'll get started on this series. Now, what Pastor told me was, uh, this is what I heard, you have until the Lord's return to finish this study. So, I mean, this could be next week, it could be a couple years from now, who knows. But we're, we're going to start the right way. If you bow your heads in prayer, let's dedicate this time to the Lord. Let's ask Him for His help. Heavenly Father, we praise You and glorify You. You are mighty and awesome, perfect and righteous and all-knowing. And the, the truth of the matter is we're not. We don't know. And if it weren't for Your Word, we would know nothing of the eternal importance. If it weren't for your word, we wouldn't know how to be saved. We wouldn't know how it is that, that you came to, to love us and care for us. We wouldn't know the plan of salvation. We wouldn't know the way to live life today as a person who is called and living holy and a life that is pleasing to you. We wouldn't know these things, and we certainly wouldn't know what the future holds. But you're a good God, and you love us. And you have given this information to us, not so that we could glorify in ourselves or somehow um, find some sort of uh, happiness in other people's destruction or judgment. You've given us this information for your glory, because you're true and you're righteous, and we need to know you more. And I thank you that you've given us your word to do that. Be with us as we study this. As we approach it, I pray humbly, and if we don't, that you'll convict us, that we are leaning and dependent on your word for the truth that we find, and that we then react in a way that is proper for one of your servants, one of your slaves, one of your children to do, that this study should result in obedience. That as we study this, I pray that you convict us to walk differently, to become more like your son that the, pro- the process of progressive sanctification is enhanced and heightened because of this study, uh, and that we take this and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so as we begin to study Revelation, you'll notice I already have a typo. I put an apostrophe in, the, in between Y and S. It's not a possessive, it's a plural. At any rate, you're going to find that that happens, you know. Look beyond that. I make mistakes, and you know, it's hard to type while you're driving a semi truck. You know, it's really difficult, and you know, to, you know, it's hard to you know have the knee up and shifting gears and all of that. So just give me a break on that. But as we study this, you'll notice right off the bat, I have have starting at chapter four, and for some of you, may you think this is unusual. We're not going to start there today. I hear you moving your pages. We're not going to be in Revelation four just yet. Um, but you're, you may be wondering why that is. Well, a few years ago, we covered um, chapters 1 through 3. I had an opportunity to do a few of those as well, and it was a very thorough and good study of the introduction to Revelation, although I will cover that to a degree again, and the messages to the churches. Excellent study that we were able to go through, and so that is why we are beginning in chapter 4. Um, and so just keep that in mind. That's the the reason why we aren't starting in chapter 1. However, today we will be in chapter 1. We will refer back to these chapters, chapters 1 through 3, as we go through this study. So we will not abandon it, but we have done a very thorough study of that already. So that is 
the reason for this. And before I jump into this study even today, this is like an intro to the intro, I would like us to start where we left off last week. So go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I know we've been in Ecclesiastes for a long time, and it, is, and it has been a blessing to me, and I, I'm sure you as well. I, I was telling Pastor Kevin last week when he finished up, and I think I've told him before, I had never sat under a, a teaching of Ecclesiastes to that degree in my life, and I have not taught it myself, other than the time that I had an opportunity to do it here in this study. But how beneficial was that? And I, I found it to be um, rejuvenating in my walk, but also convicting and extremely helpful as we go forward in this world we're living in today. I think it, it was just so revel- relevant, and I'm sure you believe that same thing. But let's go to the very last verse, uh, last few verses rather, that we, that we covered last week, uh, starting at verse 12. So chapter 12, verse 12. My son, and of course remember, Pastor spent time talking about this. Uh, This is the preacher speaking to us, but certainly I'm certain it was his own children and his own son that would eventually, Solomon's son, take over who would not heed these words. Beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There's no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. And I I, I say that, and I wanted to bring that up, because (laughs) when you start dealing with the book of Revelation, the books are many. You're going to find a lot of studies. You're going to find a lot of books about this book. And I'll refer to a few here and there. You're going to see me quote one today. I'm already planned for next week, and I'm going to quote a few next week. But I warn us all, that is not where the truth is found. The truth is found in God's Word. And not just in the book of Revelation. We're going to use the entirety of Scripture to understand the book of Revelation. God's Word interprets God's Word. It explains it for us. So I think that was so relevant, and Pastor brought that up last week. Anyway, very important as we go through this study. You'll see me referring to books, but those are just supplements. They can help, and sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes I'll say something wrong. I'm, there's, a, just a, there's something we talk about when you hear people talking about this who preach or teach on Revelation there is a 30-minute gap of silence in heaven at the very beginning of the tribulation period, and it's uh, through these seal judgments at the beginning. And the joke is that 30 minutes is all of the eschatology teachers and preachers trying to sort out their charts and because they had it all wrong. And there, there's a possibility that I'm going to get some things wrong because I just, how could I possibly know and understand all of this? So we want to come into this humbly. So many books can be daunting. God's Word is what really matters. We're going to try to stick to that. You will see me referring to books, but keep in mind, they are not Scripture. Back to the text, though. The end of the matter, and this is so important, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is the most important transition piece into this next series that I could possibly think of. Possibly think of. I want you to to now go to Revelation 14 for just a moment. Revelation 14. Fear God. This is the whole duty of man. And keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. If you skip ahead to Revelation 14, just to give you, this is way ahead. We won't get here for a long time. I'll just tell you. 
No jokes, all jokes aside, it's going to be a while before we get here, but just to kind of give you an idea of what we're dealing with in Revelation 14, and as I hyper-focus on verse 7, this is a transition um, as we're kind of going into the very last seven judgments. The, the last seven, we call them vile or bold judgments, and most theologians would put this at the very end of the tribulation, just before the Lord's return. As we go forward, we'll see that detailed. But this warning is given here. This reminder is given here that is consistent from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And look at what it is. One of the angels says this. He said with a loud voice. This is an angel who is making this proclamation. I take this very literally. I think this will actually be said by an angel. Fear God and give him glory. This is As we thought about the whole duty of man is to fear him and, and obey him. This angel is putting everything that has already happened. This is probably near the end of the tribulation, maybe the last few months, and he brings it right back into perspective. Notice he says, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. You think, well, that is a great reminder, but why does that have to be stated here? You'd think people would get this. Flip back a few pages in your Bible to chapter 9. Let me show you something. People don't get it. People don't get it when God's judgment is being unleashed and his wrath is at full fury during the tribulation period, which we will see as we unpack this. But I want you to notice the people's reaction, even after seeing, understanding, and knowing that it's Jesus who is bringing about this wrath and judgment on them. If you look at Revelation 9, 20, the reason this angel has to remind us about fearing the Lord and giving him glory is this. The rest of, verse 20 of chapter 9, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, look at this, they did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols and gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, fill in the blank for whatever it is you may be tempted to put in front of the Lord, which cannot see, hear, or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Even in spite of knowledge or understanding of who God is, what do people fail to do? Fear the Lord and obey Him. Fear the Lord and give Him glory. It is a reminder as we go through this that as we as believers, and, and I'm going to make the assumption that most of you know the Lord, most of you love Him, most of you have been redeemed and you are a new man, a new woman, and you're walking with the Lord, we need to never, never forget our duty is to fear him and do what he says. Our duty is to fear him and give him glory. This study should be a great reminder for us of that, that this, this is what it's about. It's about him, it's not about us. So as we transition from last week into this week, I think that's the perfect way to do it. Fear him, do what he says. So as we go forward, here's some of the things I'd like to cover in the next two weeks. If you'll bear with me, we're going to take two weeks to introduce, and I'm going to cover these three essential categories. Why study Revelation in general? Why, why should we do it? And I, I, I think we could easily answer that question, well, because it's the Word of God, and we should. There's no doubt about that. But why this book specifically? Why Jesus must return? He has to. We need to look at this scripturally speaking, why he has to, or he's not God. And then third, why we study, why we're going to approach this, this book of Revelation from a premillennial 
approach or perspective. Why that's biblically sound. And we're going to take some time to look at that, and that, that may take all of next week. I don't expect us to get to that today. I'm certain we won't. We won't even get through all of the second point today. So that's kind of my intro to the intro. That's what we're doing and why we're doing it. I'm looking forward to this, and I pray that you are too. It can be scary to study this book. It, it, is, it, is, um, it is complicated in parts, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's just like the rest of God's Word. Okay, It is. It's inspired by God Almighty. The Holy Spirit put it on the heart of John, and then specifically with this particular one, Jesus spoke to him directly as well. And it's something that if it's given to us, we need to study it. It's, it's important to study it. It's the same author, and it's going to prompt in us the same reaction. Awe, wonder, glory, and I pray obedience. So we want to study this book, and it's an important thing to do. So that's our intro to the intro. Why are we doing this? First things first, go to Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to show you something, and then we're going to kind of briefly look at this as, a, as kind of an overview of this. Why study Revelation? Right off the bat, we're given in verse 3 a reason for it. Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. There's a lot in that. I'm not going to unpack it this morning. But here's what I want to focus on. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I'm doing that right now. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That's, that's all of us, isn't it? So right off the bat, we see the word blessing. Now, I'm going to show you what this word actually means. Just look at the top here, makarios. And we see the same word or a derivative of it seven different times in the book of Revelation. That is not an accident, by the way, that there are seven blessings structured in the book of Revelation. You'll notice I focused on a couple of them. But what that word actually means is happy, fortunate, blessed. It's good. It's good for you. It's a good thing to study this. It's a good thing to hear it read, to hear it taught, to understand it, to dig deeper. Now I'm going to look at different elements of that. Today we're not going to break down these, but as we go forward, you're going to see this word comes up again a few times. First one here is, is you, the reader, me, the, the teacher. We're blessed right off the bat. The believer right here, right now, today, 2023, you're blessed. It's good. You're fortunate for being able to have that. As I intro to this whole thing, and I, and I prayed, uh, it's such a blessing to have the Word of God. Uh, I think I have shared this before. There's a video out there of Chinese uh, believers who don't have the Word of God, and then they're given it. And their celebration is, it's, it's actually convicting for me. I don't know if any of you have seen that, and I probably should show it to you sometime. I think I've described it. They're crying. They're celebrating because the Word of God is in their hands. And now they, they know what God says to them. It's not just what somebody said God said. They see it with their own eyes. And they're convicted. We know the Reformation story. The, the biggest problem with the Christendom world of the time of Luther and, and other reformers was that people didn't have the Word of God in their hands. And they couldn't read it for themselves. 
And that was such a big piece of what the reformers wanted to do. Get the Word of God into people's hands. So that's for the reader. We're going to see other, other situations where blessed or this particular word blessed is used for those who have died during the, the book of Revelation, during the tribulation, because they don't have to suffer the rest of it, those believers who have died. Those looking for Christ's return, of course, we're blessed. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. There's a hope that we have in the return of Christ. The marriage supper of the Lamb participants, any of you who are in Christ, that's you. That word is used there as well. The first resurrection is the martyred saints during the tribulation. They're blessed because they get to participate in that. And then again, we see the reader 22.7. The reason I bolded these two is because we'll look at these two verses today. We've looked at one already, and we'll look at the other in a moment. And then finally, the, the last one, that's every believer throughout time, be able to participate in this millennial kingdom and the tree of life. And we'll get to that much later. But that's what we see here is this incredible blessing to study the Word of God. So as we look at this, we've already looked at this particular verse. I want you to focus just for a second here on must soon take place. Just for a second. Not the soon part. We know that soon, and we, we'll look at that in a couple of weeks, can be quickly, can be not too long, can be sooner than you think. It, it's, these things we'll, we'll take a look at and break that down, but it says must. Did you catch that? It must happen. So as we go forward in this study, this is another thing I want you to make sure you focus on. We fear the Lord and we do what he says, but this has to happen. This isn't a maybe. This must take place. This has to take place. This is right up there, by the way, with the gospel. It had to happen in order for you to be saved. Jesus had to die on that cross. He had to rise again. That had to happen. He had to live a perfect life. He had to fulfill prophecy. It's just like that. And the reason why it must take place is because it's not just in the book of Revelation. We see it through the entire Old Testament, the prediction of the Messiah, the prediction of what he would do, his kingdom, his glory, and he even taught his apostles to pray that way. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. So it has to happen. This has to happen. And it's a blessing to even think that way. So right off the bat, we have a blessing built into the verse when we know it has to happen and we know our God will do it. And there is a certainty in our hearts as believers that we can cling to. So must is an important thing. But then this last one this, that is to the reader, we see at the end of the book, behold, I'm coming soon. We see this again. We'll discuss the soon part in a few weeks. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Very reminiscent of the Ecclesiastes passage, right? See those connections? Keeps the words of this book. There is, there is convicting passages all throughout this book. Now, I'm going to tell you that, that I don't believe, as, as believers, we will go through the tribulation. I, I, I believe that we will be taken before that happens. And so I'll just tell you right off the bat, that's, that's the approach I'm going to take. However, however... As we read this, we, throughout the ages, 2,000 years since this has been written, the command has been to read it and be blessed by reading it. We can take instruction from this, this, this book, the entirety of it, not just the first three chapters that deal with the present, the entire book. Although the church is not found from chapter 4 to chapter 19, that doesn't mean we can't take conviction and, and, and study and, and find ways to obey the Lord and learn from it. We already did today, didn't we? Chapter 14, 7. Chapter 9, 
We saw these examples of what not to do and what to do built right in, just already this morning. Okay, so we see that it's important that we obey what we see, that we obey what the Word of God says. So right off the bat, there is a blessing built into this that is connecting Old Testament to New Testament. We saw it today already from our connection to last week's lesson into this week's lesson. Very important as we look at this going forward. But there's more to why this is a blessing. There's, there's quite a bit more to why this is a blessing. I love this. As I came across this and was studying this, this is how I felt, but I didn't articulate that. Oh boy, maybe it'll come back up. If not, I'll read it to you. And this is from Dr. Andy Woods. I'll let them advance it maybe. There we go. I'll read this to you. I love this because this is how I feel, and I hope that you understand this. Here's what he says. A built-in blessing to studying Revelation is that it can develop a strong desire to study the Bible in its entirety. Listen to this. 278 of Revelation's 404 verses allude to the Old Testament. 278 of the 404. So in order to understand Revelation, one must study the Old Testament. In fact, one must study all 65 books that lead to Revelation to gain a true understanding of the, of the themes that find their resolution in the final book of the Bible. Someone who truly studies this book will find themselves digging deeper into all of God's Word, giving them a more keen and heightened hunger for the Word of God as a whole. Is that a blessing or not? Oh, I think it's built in. You're going to have to dig deeper. And when you dig deeper into God's Word, it's going to transform you. Because what do we know about God's Word? It doesn't come back void, does it? Now, you may resist it, reject it, push it, but He's going to be working on you. And He uses the, 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 the avenue, one of the avenues, of course, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But primarily, He is using this as the vehicle to let you know what He thinks about your life and what you should be doing next. His will is found in this book. So if this study makes you study more of it, that's a blessing. See where that's going? See how that works? That's a beautiful thing to think about. So that's one aspect of it. Another aspect is this. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm assuming some of you assumed that I would go here, and you would have assumed correctly. 2 Peter chapter 1. When we talk about the Word of God in general, but prophecy, this is an essential. 2 Peter chapter 1 and as we look at this, and remember, we're putting in the context of how this is a blessing to study this. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to pick this up at verse 19. Here's what it says. Now, the context, before we read this. The context is Peter is talking about what he's seen. And in the verses prior to this, he's making reference to the Mount of Transfiguration, which we've studied and you've heard preached here before and referenced in Sunday school he sees the glory, the glorified Christ, before the, the, the crucifixion and resurrect, resurrection, before the ascension. He has a chance to see Christ in his most beautiful, glorified form and, and what it's going to be like, to, what we will see him in, in that same form. He gets a chance to see that with Peter, James, and John, just a few of them. And, and this is an incredible thing. Not only that, he, I think he's inferring here that he saw Christ in his perfect life, in all of his miracles that we've covered, in, in his incredible teaching, and then his death and resurrection, he witnessed it all. He saw all of it. But then he says this, and it's peculiar. Look at what it says. It says this, starting back in verse, and we have something more sure, more sure, the prophetic word 
to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing the first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we know all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture comes from the Holy Spirit. Through men, the men are, are writing it down, but this all comes from God. But he says, more sure. And I put at the bottom of this, I think what Peter is teaching to a degree is that prophecy fulfillment as we see it, and by the way, we're going to see some of it's happened already, especially with the nation of Israel, and understanding it can make our faith more sure or more certain. It can strengthen our faith. That's a huge blessing. That's an amazing thing as we see God doing what he says he's going to do. As we see, as we study history and prophecy fulfillment of the past, we see we have a God who says what he's going to do and then does it. Like no one else, like no other entity in human history. MacArthur puts it this way, and I think it's a great way to put it, and I drug this directly from his commentary. It says this, the prophetic word refers not just to the Old Testament major and minor prophets, but the entire Old Testament. Of course, all of the Old Testament was written by prophets in its truest sense since they spoke and wrote God's word, which was the task of a prophet, and they looked forward in some sense to the coming Messiah. The translation of the word confirmed would indicate that the eyewitness accounts of Christ's majesty at the transfiguration confirm the scriptures. However, the Greek word order is crucial in that it does not say, say that. It says, and we have more sure the prophetic word. That original arrangement of the sentence supports the interpretation that Peter is ranking scripture over experience. I'm going to repeat that. Scripture over experience. I mean, none of us are going to get the opportunities in our life down here on this side of eternity to see what Peter saw. But he's saying, yeah, that was really awesome. It just confirmed the scriptures, though. Those are even more sure. And here's what happens here at this church every Sunday. As Pastor James, today Pastor Kevin, are going to be at this pulpit. You know what they're going to use on you? The Word of God, the scriptures, and they're even more sure than what Peter saw, because they're certain and they're everlasting and they're eternal. We will still be discussing God's Word in eternity. You'll still be studying it and knowing it more throughout eternity. That's an incredible thing. Even more sure. So Scripture over experience. Peter was warning believers, that's for us today, that since they would be exposed to false teachers, they must pay special attention to the Scriptures. So another added blessing. We know there's going to be false teaching all around us. We know that there is false teaching all around us. As we study the Word of God, we study the book of Revelation, it's built in, a blessing's built in. We're giving warnings and instruction as to what to do and how to honor God, fear Him, and do what He says. So I think we can see a lot of things here that are built in blessings. I got one more for you before we transition into why Jesus must come. And this is a book Mindy just bought me. But it's an, it's an interesting perspective because this is a Jewish Christian. His name is Amir Sarfati. Kind of interesting. He was, a, uh, he was an officer in the uh, Israeli Defense Force. He was also the last mayor of Jericho. Isn't that weird just to even think that there's a mayor of Jericho? But <laughs> he was. But he was a believer, he's a believer in Jesus Christ. Um, one of those who... Um, by the grace of God, was able to understand that Jesus is the Messiah before the end of the, of the tribulation period. And we'll talk about how many of them will come to know Christ near the end, but that's down the road a little bit. But here he gives us another idea of blessing. From his Jewish perspective, it's kind of an interesting one. 
And he says this. And just hang in here with me. Why should we read the words of this prophecy? What should be our motivation? To hear these words and to keep commandments written in it? Why should we do that? Well, because it's God's word, A, yes. That should be enough, and that's true. But like a father who loves to give treats to his child when they are doing the right thing, he says, by the way, when you do what you should be doing by reading this, I'm going to bless you. The blessing comes in many forms. Among them is the fact that we can know what is coming for this world. We get to know ahead of time. That's a blessing too. He wants, to prepare our, he wants us to prepare ourselves and our families for his return. Now, Amir also doesn't believe we're going to be going through the tribulation, but we want to prepare for his return right now. It should affect the way we live today. That's, that's the concept of what he's talking about here. And he gives a unique perspective here from an Israeli perspective. So we should be preparing our families for his return. In Israel, we have sirens that sound when our unhappy neighbors to the south and to the north, it's a nice way to say it, decide to fire rockets into our country. Mindy and I were discussing this, and they said he wrote this just before what happened in Israel recently. It didn't work out so good the last time. When we hear their wail, we all scramble for the nearest shelter until the danger passes. Thus, we become doubly blessed. We have knowledge of the attack, and we have safety in the shelter. So what does it do here for us as we think? And he could, continues to talk about what that safety is in the shelter. For the believer, it kind of goes back to that other blessing that I made mention of, is that the assurity of our faith, we run to the Savior. When there's uncertainty all over the world, when we see this incredible stuff that's coming, that God told us would come, and I believe it very literally, it doesn't cause fear in our hearts. Not to the believer. It shouldn't. What should it do? It should increase our love for Him. Remember, perfect love casts out fear, because fear has to do with judgment. You don't, you don't have anything to do with God's judgment and His wrath. Oh, yes, there'll be a judgment for the believer for the work you've done for the kingdom. It's for reward. But your sins are as far as the east is from the west. They're in the depths of the sea. He remembers them no more. That is a reminder for the believer. It's a double blessing. Yes, this is coming. He's warning us, but we run to, we run to the Savior. We're, in, we're protected by Him. We weren't meant for His wrath. So there's a double blessing built into that. So anyway... A lot of things that go into this idea of how it is a blessing. All right, let's transition to why we study this. Well, number one, it's important to God. How so? Look at some of these statistics. Just a couple things. And this is kind of an interesting thing. I'm going to show you some statistics today. Wow, 30 minutes already. Okay, a third of the Bible pertains to prophecy. That's a, that's a big chunk. One third of the entire Bible it has to do with prophecy. Every single book in the Bible, with the exception of the Song of Solomon, has some sort of element of, of predictive quality, some sort of prophecy in it. Some books, like Revelation, uh, for example, are almost entirely prophetic. Not entirely, but close to. And I, I think of this, I've kind of put this last bullet. If God has devoted this much of the Bible to prophecy, and it's that important to him, it should be important to you too. You love what he loves, and you hate what he hates. You care about what he cares about, and you study what he gives you. And he's given you a lot to study. So it must be important to God, so it should be important to us. Second piece to this, why we study this. Well, it's reliable. It's reliable. There are a lot of things out there that predict things. Weathermen, for instance. I don't find them overly reliable. 
I just asked my wife, what's the weather look like today? Oh, this week. She kind of gave me the rundown. I'm like, well, maybe. We'll see. That doesn't always work out that way. There's predictions out there, predictions about games and predictions about the financial world and predictions about, you know, uh, the, the political landscape. None of those can you count on, but you can count on what God says. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, there's proof. Remember how Dr. Woods said, well, one of the blessings is that it makes you dig deeper. It makes you look into the Old Testament. There is a tremendous amount of evidence that what God says and predicts he does that has already happened. Let me just give you a, a few examples of this. So here's one right off the bat that I have always been fascinated by. The prophet Isaiah makes a prediction. Well, God makes the prediction. You'll notice God declared, I, I want to put in here. I, I changed that. I actually had this. Isaiah declared. He said it. He wrote it down, but it was God who declared it. Remember what Peter tells us. All Scripture is God-breathed, right? It, it came from the Holy Spirit. But anyway, he predicted the birth, the reign, the activity of Cyrus 150 years before he was born by name. He called him out by name. Cyrus wasn't common then, and it's not common now as a name. But Isaiah said, a guy named Cyrus is going to do this. And not only is he going to come up to power, and not only is he going to kind of wipe out his enemies, but he would also make the Israelites go back and rebuild their temple and send them back from captivity into Israel again. And keep in mind, when this was written by Isaiah, they weren't even in captivity yet. And the Babylonians weren't even that strong yet. And yet all of this happened exactly like God said it would. Exactly. Some, some theologians believe that potentially Daniel showed this prophecy to Cyrus. And Cyrus gives glory to the Lord later on, and it's possible that it's because he saw this. We don't know that, of course, but we can see it now. It's certain that this is exactly how it was. And you can look at that yourself. His name is mentioned specifically. That's an incredible thing. That's one example. Here's another as you study Daniel, and we will through this series, by the way, when my I think I mentioned to you that my brother has gone through the book of Revelation and he, he gave me some of his stuff. A lot of the books he gave me, he gave me four books on Daniel, and we're studying Revelation. The reason is because they're so connected. The 70th week of Daniel is what Revelation really unpacks for us, but we'll, we'll go back to Daniel several times. But within the book of Daniel, we see in chapter 2 and in chapter 7 and 8, Daniel outlines what's going to happen in the history, the future history from his day, and the, the empires that are to come. And as we look back in hindsight, in history, he had them all right. And not only does he have them right that this is what's coming, even the specific nature of the leadership and how the kingdoms will be split and, and who will be reigning and how long and what kind of strength they will have it's an incredible thing. It's so incredible that most, most of the critics of the Bible, they, they believe that this couldn't have been written before these things happened. It's so specific, they just think it's impossible Daniel couldn't have written these things before they happened. That's how specific it is. Our Bible, God's Word, is reliable. This has happened and it will continue to happen. Now, you, you notice what we're doing here is we're seeing God's done it before. He'll do it again. And then as we think about this day and age we're living in, where the nation of Israel is in hyper-focus in our world, 
This is the miracle amongst miracles. We live in an age where we have seen God's prophecy come true. Now, it's, it's really shocking to me, honestly, and I'm going to talk about this more next week, so I'm going to really discipline myself to not talk about it right now. But it's shocking for me, for anybody in the Christian world to think that the nation of Israel as we see it today is not a pure miracle of God. That that is God's hand, God's work, working in and amongst his people that he promised he would do in his Old Testament. But when we look at the nation of Israel coming back into their land, May 14th, 1948, oftentimes we talk about this as being like a super sign because this is a, just a shocking event. It's so important. It's so important that Israel would come back into their land after being scattered for 2,000 years, 70 A.D., till 1948. There was no land of Israel. I'll talk about this more next week, as I mentioned. But this is such an important thing that so much of what we read couldn't happen until this is put into place. So much of what we will study, because it all surrounds Israel, the nation of Israel, couldn't be true unless God did this. And this happened, it's not in our lifetime exactly for everybody in here, but it's, it's close. 1948 is not that long ago in the grand scheme of things. It's not that long. And that happened, and, and the world witnessed it. And that is right on par with what we've been looking at before. God's word is reliable. His predictions are reliable. Why is all of this important? Why are we talking about this? Why does this matter? Well, because if these things all happened, and they happened just like God said, and we're going to look at one more here in a moment that is the most important, which is Jesus and his first advent. If we believe all of these things happen just like God said, guess what? All the rest of them are going to happen too, just like he said. Not symbolically, not spiritualized, no, exactly like he said. What do I mean by that? Well, when we study Revelation, it helps us with apologetics to defend the faith. The apologetics concept is important when we talk about Jesus' first advent. Look at this. 300 plus prophecies fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Now this was so important that if you recall, John the Baptist, who was um, a pretty good guy according to Jesus, nobody greater than this guy, he still needed the proof. And we studied that uh, as we were going through John. We were looking at these incredible signs that John gave us. Why did, God, why did John decide to give us all these signs of what Christ did. It was so that we would know he was the Christ and so be saved, remember? We covered this over and over. John the Baptist needed this proof too. He'd been imprisoned by Herod. You know how this story goes. And this happened because he did what John does. He exposed the sin of Herod, like you're sinning, and John Herod didn't like that, put him in prison. But even then, this same guy who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he wanted to be sure. He wanted to be certain. And he sent his disciples to ask Jesus. And this is in Luke 7. We don't really have time to go through that directly. But this is, well, actually, why don't you turn there? Because it's the Word of God. Please do that. I did put it up there, put it in red. That must mean we should look at it. I take that back. We do have time. We're going to take our time. Remember, Pastor said, I have until the Lord returns. So Luke 7, at least that's what I heard. Luke 7, because it's good to hear this. Apologetics 101, Luke 7, 20 through 23. Just picking it up at verse 18, 
The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John calling two of his disciples, and by the way, miracles that he saw perform, they saw performed, including resurrection of the widow's son, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, now they had already seen him perform miracles, including resurrection. In that hour though, right here on the spot, he healed many people of diseases, plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, you may read this real casually and say, oh, yeah, he's just telling them what he did. You know what Christ is doing here? He's quoting the Old Testament. Two different passages, but he's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. He'll quote Isaiah 61 again in Luke 4, or earlier in his, his life, in his career, in Luke 4, but he's quoting the Old Testament. He's doing that to teach us what to do. How do we defend the faith? This is what was said about Jesus, and this is what Jesus did. When he came, this is exactly what it looked like. He was, he was predicted to do this, and he did this. And he's given John this information so that you and I would have this information. That we would do the same thing. We would look at Scripture. We would look at Things like the book of Revelation, from the right perspective, which we're going to spend more time on that next week, from the right perspective so that we can defend the faith. Remember, as we study Revelation, fear God and do what he says. As we look at this and we give him glory, we look at this from a very humble perspective. John's disciples saw him do this, but Jesus said, yeah, but you know, this was predicted. This is what was said would happen, and it happened. So important to understand that this is about apologetics that the most important prophecies we find in Scripture, although Cyrus is cool, although the empires are cool, Israel's awesome. It's Jesus. He's the hyper-focus. He's the most important thing. And the prophecies about him are the most important thing. This is proof that Jesus is the Messiah. He, he, knew, he knew intellectually and in his mind, but this was confirmation. He proved he was the Messiah by performing these tasks. So MacArthur has a great perspective on this, and I, I love this. This is Apologetics 101. All the prophecies dealing with the first advent of Christ were fulfilled precisely, literally. His riding on a donkey, the parting of his garments, the piercing of his hands and feet, the vivid prophecies of his rejection by men in Isaiah 53. All of those in Isaiah 53, some in Psalm 22. All these might have been interpreted symbolically by Old Testament scholars before Christ, but the New Testament record repeatedly reports that some things were fulfilled in that such things, rather, were fulfilled in the most literal sense so that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. So the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Had to happen. In some cases, Old Testament prophecies about Christ were fulfilled with literalism that could not have been anticipated by even the most careful Old Testament scholars. It had to be super confusing for prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, as they look at some of these things, and the minor prophets as well. As they're looking at what? A donkey? His hands and his feet? Bethlehem? Egypt? How could he come out of Egypt? How could this be? How could he be a suffering servant? How confused must they have been? But they wrote down what they said because that's what God said. So they wrote it down. What God says, that I will speak. That I will utter. Now we see it in hindsight and we understand 
that he has to come back in a very literal way. So what we'll pick up next week is why. Why he must return. It has to happen. Now we've set this up properly, haven't we? We've set this up properly. Right off the bat, this has to happen. It must happen, Revelation chapter 1, because he said so. Because he said so. So as we approach this study, this is all because the Word of God is true, reliable, and it's what we count on to defend the faith that we cling to, that saved you. The prophecies that we're going to look at all revolve around the gospel that's found in the same book that saved you and it saved me if you're in Christ. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this time that we've had even to introduce this. And as we continue in this study, I pray that we uh, continue to see um, your plan working out. And although we may not understand it all from this side of eternity, help to reveal as much of it as we can understand with the minds that you've given us and the word that you've given us. It has been a blessing already even for me to study this and prepare this. And I pray that it will be for everyone else as we continue to learn from your word, are convicted by it. We do fear you and we want to honor you and we do glorify you. Help us to obey you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.